Welcome to the First Hand Football Show. I am your host, Tobias Brown. And folks, we are back with another great episode. This interview, I am joined by my co-host, Logan. So, Logan, how are we doing today, man? Doing good, doing good. And, Logan, do you want to introduce our guest for the people? Yeah, we got a great one today. We got another OAC interview. Head coach at Ball and Wallace. We have Mike Hilbert today. Coach, how you doing? Doing good, Logan. How are you? I'm doing well. Couldn't be better. So, Coach, I want to I want to get into the early years of football for you. You know, you obviously have been coaching for a long time, a very impressive record. But take us back to how you fell in love with the game of football. What was your first exposure to the game? It, it steps back to me. Actually, it's funny you said that the plan for St. Dominic, I was like in first grade. You had coaches back in grade school football that took an interest in you, uh, like guys like John Elmer, guy you know. Leaves a really distinct, you know, impact on me as a young kid. Uh, Lou Brewer, Ed Bauer, guys like that that made football fun, touching the fundamentals of football. He just kind of had a, you know, had a run for it. And uh, starting in first grade, went all the way through to eighth grade, and then went to high school. I went to Elder High School, and uh, had coaches that impacted my life then, uh, from guy like Tom Grippa, you know, John Owens, uh, his son Johnny Owens. Those guys, did, you know, Lance. Those guys did a great job of just instilling that, I think, the discipline and hard work and things that you needed. And on top of that, I think my dad had a huge impact on me, too, growing up. I've been, you know, being tough and being physical and all those little things that people sometimes forget about nowadays, I think, helped me throughout that process. And then I was very fortunate. I got a scholarship to St. Joe's College, which is in Rensselaer, Indiana. Played linebacker there. Uh, and the guy there, Brian Rock, uh was a guy that had a huge impact on me. I was going to be a lawyer. I was, I was uh, took the LSAT, was planning on, I worked at a law firm. Uh, I was planning on going that route. And then he called me up about four days before camp and said, hey, I got a GA position for you in Western Michigan if you're interested. I took my car up and left and went to Kalamazoo, Michigan uh, in 1995. And so he made a huge impact on me. You know, as, sometimes as a player, you don't see it. That that should, maybe that's the route you should look at. And uh, thank God I did. And going into it, it's funny. You think you know football uh, until you're behind the closed doors and figure out all the hard work that coaches and stuff put in from a game planning aspect to recruiting, all the nuts and bolts that go into running a program. I learned all. And uh, I'm glad I did that. I did that. I was there from 95 to 96. Uh, came back home, uh, was coached at two high schools, Oak Hills High School and Whitten Woods, uh, which was two good experiences. Steve Sheehan. And Troy Everhart were two really good coaches, the two guys that really helped my development. And then in 2000, got hired as a defensive coordinator at Mount St. Joe. Uh, Rod Huber uh, was the first-time head coach, hired me in 2000. And uh, we were we were a we were We were 16 games in a row. We weren't very good. And uh, you talk about perseverance and staying the course. We stayed the course. And in 2002, we went 5-5. Five and five And the next year, we went 6-4, and four, and then we ran three years in a row. We went to the playoffs, went 10-0, and 9-1, and 9-1, and, and we went to the playoffs, won the Hartman Conference. And that kind of opened up the door for me to be a head football coach at Thomas Moore, which ironically is the arch rival of Mount St. Joe. So I went to the arch rival back in 2007, went there, but it was a great learning experience for me. 2007, we went 4-6, and, and then a four-year run where we won four championships in a row. Uh, and then 
the next two years we tired them. And then for me, we kind of were in a snap stalemate as a program. We were kind of restarting the plateaued. And then in 2015, I went to LaSalle High School. And LaSalle High School, we won two state championships in 15 and 16. And then I wanted to get back to college. And then Ball Ross, the opportunity opened there to get in the OEC. And thank God I took it. It was a great opportunity. Uh, it's been a great life. I can't believe it's been six years. It's gone by fast. You know, and if folks remember LaSalle High School, that's because we've had two quarterbacks on from LaSalle High School. We had Nick Watson on and we had Bobby Fralick on. And, you know, they talked about, you know, the championship pedigree that was instilled there while they were there. So I, I want to start there, you know, though, going all the way back to those GA days, you know, a lot of people don't understand the grind that goes into that and just how grueling that is. Did you ever have a moment in time while being a GA where you were like, dang, do I really want to be a coach the rest of my life? You don't realize the hours that you put. Like you're putting 80 hours in a week and you're doing all this stuff. And you didn't realize, you know, I thought you know everything. Uh, and you really don't. You learn a lot. It's about game planning and breaking down films and all the little details that go into stuff behind closed doors. And you don't know that. As a player, you're like, oh, this is easy. Watch some film. Go out there, call defense, call offense, do some special teams, and everything's good. But they, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And for me, because I love football, I never questioned the hours and doubted that's what I wanted to do. Um, it was definitely my passion uh, for, for football. And to be able to make a difference in young men's lives, I think that was another thing I learned, that that relationship you have with your players or goes, goes a long way. You know, and if you look at your record from, you know, whether it be at D.C. all the way up to now at Baldwin-Wallace, one thing that stays consistent is consistent, tough, gritty football. You guys are going to be in a lot of games. So can you talk a little bit about the culture and the mindset that you bring to coaching and how it help? you know, it kind of trickles down to your players? I think for me, honestly, I, with every program, I'm going preach about toughness and talk about hard work, adversity, being able to overcome those things, being able to be a capable team, you know, team I think is an important concept, especially nowadays with all the other outside elements that are out there to kind of take you away from them. I want my team to be tough mentally and physically, especially mentally now. I think it's you got to be mentally tough to be able to play the great game of football, to be able to get in the up in the off season and you know work out and do all the little things, work at your craft. And uh, if, my, if you hopefully when you watch my team, my team plays with passion. I think we love going out there and flying around and playing for each other, playing for the coaches. Uh, they. Hopefully, like, you know, you can see I'm playing disciplines and just having fun out there. I think that's a big thing. And no matter what the odds are, that they're going to keep fighting for those 60 minutes and then let the chips fall where they may. And been very fortunate to win a lot of football games having that type of mentality. Yeah, and you, you talk about having a toughness mentality. And uh, from a first-hand account, having to play BW four times in college, I absolutely agree with you. I've seen some slaughters and some heavy tackles. Um, one thing I want to bring up, though, is Vaughn Wallace has a very proud football history, whether it's Lee and Jim Trestle um, in the early years bringing national championships and conference titles. You are only the fourth head coach to be hired since 1957. So can you kind of talk about the pedigree of Vaughn Wallace football and how that's just such an impressive stat? Well, yeah, that's a really good question. I see that's one of the reasons that kind of attracted me to Vaughn Wallace when the job opened up, just the tradition. You know, it goes back such a long way. When you talk about Charlie Watts and Bob Packer, Lee Trestle, obviously John Schnell, guys that have obviously done really well for themselves at BW, 
Well, the football means something, you know, out of Bama Wallace and the alumni's how much they how much they care about Bama Wallace and the, the football program, how they consider it still a home for themselves and how much they take pride in being part of Yellow Jacket Nation. Goes a long way with feeling that throughout I think obviously our program, uh, our games. Uh, when the rooms come back and want to talk to our football players and stuff like that and give back, you can see how excited they are to talk to our players because of how much of an impact Bama Wallace had on their lives and they were going to give back. And so there's no doubt about it. That pedigree has been set a long time ago. I'm very fortunate to be part of it. You know, when you took the program over, they had gone through a losing season the year before, which is something Baldwin Wallace just isn't accustomed to. I mean, they'd only had two losing seasons since I believe like the 1960s which is just unheard of as far as consistency. So when you come in, you know, the locker room the first time there at BW and you know the tradition and you know the pedigree, what was your first message that you gave to the team about the culture that you're going to continue to build upon that had already been set by all those greats? Right. I think they kind of lost their way a little bit, I would say. You know, going back to kind of what we talked about, we looked at Ball Walsh from afar when I was at Thomas Moore and Mount St. Joe of being that tough, gritty uh, team, the hardworking, uh, going to play, play to, you know, tooth to nail to the very end. And I think we needed to get back on track to that. And I think we were able to do that in that offseason when I was there and kind of build on the foundation uh, that year and kind of set forth what we needed to continue to do. And, uh, you know, every week in the OAC is tough. You can't take anybody lightly in the OAC. Everybody's well coached, everybody has good football players. Uh, and there's going to be close games, and you got to be able to make those little plays and do the little things in the offseason and during the week to prepare yourself for those Saturday afternoons. You know, when you talk about toughness, looking at your guys' record this year, 7-3, and three, obviously there was a couple heartbreakers in there, but there were a couple games. You know, I can specifically remember Logan and I sitting on my couch watching the end of your guys' game against Marietta this year, and Logan started doing a dance. He thought Marietta had done it, something, you know, he he couldn't really remember experiencing too much in college, and then all of a sudden you guys just ruined his hopes and dreams. So talk a little bit about, you know, the theme for this year and just, you know, overall how you felt this season went. Obviously, 7-3 and three is a great record, but, you know, obviously there were a couple games there I know you guys wish you could have back. Logan, obviously, you you know, obviously talked about that game, and obviously there's games that hurt us this past year that took my heart, uh, that hurt us. And when we were one and two, to, to be honest with you, we were in a difficult spot as a football team at that time. We were, uh, we needed to find ourselves, and, uh, you know, one and two for us, you know, as a football program, going into the next two games with Ohio Northern and Marietta, we knew we had two tough opponents, and we needed to get back on track. And, uh, those games were hard games. I've never been a part of those back-to-back games like that. How crazy that was! Uh, the Marietta game, uh, I was under the weather that game too. Didn't feel very well, and the ups and downs of that game in the fourth quarter was crazy. I've never ever seen anything like it uh, because it was a kind of a common game. Before, you know, it's twenty to fourteen. People were going back, you know, going, going back and forth, and all of a sudden. I call my hip breaks loose and those 28 points being scored in the last three minutes of that game. And uh, we were very fortunate to win that game. Uh, guys stepped up. But I also thought the Ohio Northern and Marietta game helped us get some confidence to go on that six-game run. I really believe that. It helped us as a football program and as a team because we were young. 
and we needed to gain some confidence. So I think we did with those two games. You know, and it shows throughout the season, you guys were in a lot of tight contests. Even the Heidelberg game was another one that came right down to the wire. And, you know, you talk about being a young team. Oftentimes with young teams, they don't win those games because they haven't been taught how to win. So uh, obviously, like I said, there's a couple games there that just hurt. But overall, how, how much pride did you have this year to see your guys fight and, you know, scratch out some really tough victories on the road and at home as well? Yeah, and the thing about the last two games, I'll talk about the last two games of the year. I knew going into the Heidelberg game because they had an experienced team. They had a very talented team that we're going to play at their place was senior day. That if we were in that situation, we were going to go for two no matter what. Heidelberg is a tough place to play. And we were down 13 to nothing, I believe, at that time in the second half. Our guys kept battling and battling and battling. We faced adversity trying to get to the game. Uh, we were, we showed up late because of trains being stopped on the train tracks. It was a crazy. We could take forever to get the Heidelberg. We got to a slow start, but in the second half, our guys showed a lot of grit. Our kicker hitting two field goals that were sidewinders going into the uprights with the 49 wins, if everybody remembers. 49 wins, tying that game up 13-13. And then the overtime, what a way to finish. Uh, gave our guys tons of confidence. And what a great game. And going into the last game, you know, I, I know everybody thinks about the last play, but our kids showed a lot of heart. We were down 17 nothing, and what we did to come back in that game to lead um, the last four seconds of that game were unbelievable. Really, our kids showed a lot of heart and showed what, what we were all about, you know, in that tough situation. You know, and a lot of people say in situations like that, what do you say? But I often think those situations can be, you know, jump starters for what turns out to be an amazing year next year. So, you know, you go through that last game and obviously the highs and the lows and the heartbreak at the end. What, what's your message like to your team once you guys go through something like that? I think uh, we learned a lot of lessons in that game. Uh, I think our guys are hungry uh, about our whole thing is going to be for us. And so, you know, it's about we, not about me. And I think our guys have got that message and some of the, all it's about all the little things that you do during the week. And uh, the put ourselves in that situation to win that game showed a lot about our guys, a lot of character about our guys. And uh, no matter what, football's a long game. And if you're 17 nothing, 13 nothing, does not matter. Keep fighting and fighting. Stay the course, and eventually good things will happen. I think we showed that that game. And I think that's kind of a springboard into this offseason and going into next year. Right. And you talk about the toughness that your team has, and I like the we, not me. Um, as a head coach, you can have a great impact on your team and in the locker room, but you know that you have to have that core group of leadership um, on your team uh, for sure. So talk about how you kind of instill that leadership in some of your probably more veteran players, your older guys, juniors and seniors, and how that kind of translates to getting your guys motivated and throughout the offseason and during the season. That's, that's a great question, Luke, because for us, uh, this offseason is going to be big on leadership, and that's something that we really like to harp on with our guys having a leadership council, uh, talking to our veteran guys, and then that trickling down all the way to our freshmen, uh, having them have a say and a voice in what we're doing and what's going on with our football team. Uh, I think that's big uh, because it's not about the coaches. We want to obviously a player-run team uh, for our guys to have a voice, and I think uh, this offseason will be big. Um, keep on building on what we're doing leadership-wise, uh, and I think if we can continue to do that, uh, I think we can have – great leaders and spots from 
every unit uh, from the quarterback position to the linebacker position, defensive back position, that that all trickles down. So when the new guys come into camp, they're going to speak the same message in the same language that the coaches do, and it's coming from the players. And uh, I think that'll go a long way with us building on some good things. I'm really happy, too. This past year, we're first four out of five games on the road. Next year, it's the first four out of five games on at home. With that leadership type component, with obviously having a good offseason and having some good players, I think that'll help us. Yeah, and you, you talk about instilling that leadership. Um, I want to talk about one of your leaders as well as John Mary Jr., who's probably one of the most accoladed uh, running backs at Ball and Wallace, owns several records now, uh, rushing touchdowns and yards. Um, can you talk about kind of his leadership and how you've seen him play in the last four years to get to where he is now? I'll tell you what, uh, his maturity and what he has come from as a freshman, as a sitting as a redshirt, medical redshirt because he tore his ACL, to where he is now getting his master's at BW, unbelievable. He was uh, he was a hundred percent of our team. I really believe uh, the talk that we had after our game against uh, John Carroll and him instilling the message of what we were doing from then on helped us win those six games. Uh, he really took it and ran with it. Uh, very passionate guy about the great game of football. Hates losing. Tough competitor. Uh, but a guy that really was a great leader for us. He was, he was the heart and soul of our football team. Uh, he was a guy that obviously, when you look at our team, with all the records and all the stuff like you said he has from the touchdowns to the yardage, uh, for him, he wanted to go out of, you know, being that team to – set himself apart from everybody else. And I think his leadership skills and obviously what his legacy left behind will be on, but will be remembered for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And one more guy I want to touch on is uh, too, that kind of opened my eyes and I'm going to probably mispronounce his last name. You're going to throw me out, but Mason Lazer. Yeah. Lavisor. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, I saw he had seven games. He only played seven games this year, but was one of the leaders in the conference in tackles. He had 71 tackles as a linebacker. And you talk about that toughness uh, that you instill in your players, and that's definitely toughness that seems to be on the defensive side of the ball as well. So can you kind of allude to how he able, he's able to play his game and kind of put up 10 tackles a game, how kind of a relief that is to have a guy on your defense that can do that? This is a very smart football player. Uh, basically a quarterback of that defense, being able to get our defense in the right place and stuff like that, being being a signal caller, being in the right place at the right time. A guy that cares dearly about his the football team and his football teammates. Uh, that's definitely obvious uh, for him being able to, because he's not a very big guy, but a guy that works hard in the weight room, uh, puts himself out there. Uh, very, I felt bad for me towards calf muscle and was out those three games, uh, was, you know, was killing himself beyond the field. But a guy loves a great game of football, can run really, really well, very twitchy type young man. Um, and like I said, it's very evident that he is a smart guy as a quarterback of our defense. You know, and one thing that I noticed going up and down your guys' roster is, you know, a lot of people think D3, it's a bunch of local kids from Ohio. No, your roster is very national. Florida, Georgia, Pennsylvania, New York. So talk a little bit about your guys' recruiting philosophy and how you're able to attract guys from all over the country to come to Baldwin Wallace. That's good, I see. When you look at a roster, it's from us – Obviously, the state of Ohio is very saturated with a lot of really good Division three, Division two football programs. So you have to look elsewhere too at times to get to complete your roster. And uh, Western PA has been obviously a mark for us. Uh, Buffalo has been a natural 
Memphis for us since I've been here. That didn't realize that until I got there. Uh, that Buffalo's been a really good place for us to getting some players. Uh, the other place, obviously, from the state of Ohio, but down in uh, Tampa, we really have made uh, down in Tampa, Florida, have done a really good job of going down there, recruiting them in the month of February and March, getting some players that kind of fit us academically and athletically. And uh, now, because of social media, being able to steal a player out of Georgia or maybe Texas, places like that, uh, because of social media. Uh, the airport being five minutes away from our campus makes it convenient for parents and their son to come and visit our school. And uh, sometimes I saw to the parents and the players, hey, airport's five minutes away. We're right next to all that stuff. You're next to a metropolitan area. You know, internships, cropping opportunities in your majors, things like that. Bring them up and ask visit the visitor place. You know, and you talked about social media, and it's always interesting, especially coaches, who have been around the game for a while to get their perspective on, you know, what recruiting was like when you first started. And now this social media boom, I'm sure when you put a Merry Christmas post out, I'm sure you got some, you know, five ten corner from, you know, the middle of nowhere who's sending you his highlights and you were just wanting to say Merry Christmas. So how has social media changed the game for you as a coach and for your program as well? It's crazy. Uh, see, for me as, as a coach, because I'm not very tech savvy, but I, I have to be now. Uh, to be on Twitter, you know, to be able to be on Twitter and obviously go out there and you put messages out there for the, you know, for your, for prospects and obviously your team, your alums, like everybody, the whole BWF football family and future prospects. You have to be seen, you have to brand, you know, be honestly brand BW. Uh, not only as a football program, but as an athletic and academic institution, see people see where you're at, what's cool there, what's, you know, things that we have to offer, the location, all those type of things. You really have to do a good job of getting the word out there so kids from like Texas or Georgia or Alabama send you a link off of North Carolina and all of a sudden go on a visit, check our place out with, uh, you know, walking on the campus, which I think helps. You know, when you talked about getting guys who fit academically and athletically with the culture, so – you know, in your words, what would that look like? What would a Baldwin Wallace type recruit look like if you could like make a little prototype of one? You know, yeah, academically too, because and that's every coach too. You don't want to have to worry about a young man when he goes into the classroom and worrying about it, how he's how he's going to do. So guys that actually do have doing well, you know, guys that hopefully have a three point or higher, uh, guys that are successful on the football field. When you talk to their coaches and people that they're dealing with, are character guys. Uh, work hard, guys that are not afraid to, uh, that are tough, those type of guys, get, not afraid to get their hands dirty and work, you know, get after it. I think we ask those questions and you hear them and, and then you talk to them and how they talk to their mom and dad, you know, how they're ever, how they, how they going to be away from home, you know, like, they have the girlfriend at home. Like, all those type of questions you ask to see if they are a good fit and hopefully they do check all the boxes and they, they would want to be in your place and be able to call home. You know, and we've talked a little bit about the home atmosphere and, you know, the campus atmosphere of Baldwin-Wallace. And like you've alluded to, there's a lot of really good small school programs in this state and in this area. So what do you feel sets Baldwin-Wallace apart, you know, not only as an academic institution and campus, but also that home atmosphere you guys bring to the table on Saturdays? I, just, I think, first of all, I think our location. I mean, where we're at, you're a football town. Cleveland Browns are three or four blocks down the street. Football means something. We had a great game day atmosphere. We've got some great facilities. It's the people you're going to be in touch with every day. The coaching staff, the professors, 
uh, our Steve Thompson, our ADs, just support staff, uh, our, our academic staff, all those people that are going to help you get that degree, to help you become the man you want to become, help you get ready for the real world, help you reach your full potential. We're all there to help you do that. And I think those things, when they come on campus, radiate throughout when you come on that day. And hopefully, you and my dad are like, hey, I want my son to come here to become the man I wanted to become. And that coach over and the staff are going to be able to put it. I trust them. I want them to, you know, do well on the football field, but also in the classroom. And when the real world hits here in the next four or five, four and a half, five years, that they're ready to be successful and they're ready to be a leader in that field. Essentially, those type of things when they come out. You know, and I want to switch gears a little bit because, you know, we talked a little bit off the record before we started about the misconceptions of D3 football and how a lot of people don't understand the grind that it is. You know, you guys are practicing. It's a full-time job. I mean, let's just be honest. You guys are practicing 40 to 60 hours a week. That doesn't include study halls, film study. It doesn't include the weight room. It also doesn't include just the the grueling, you know, really just work it takes on the body, the injuries you're playing through, the strain you're having to go to the classroom through. So what would you want people to know about the grind that is D3 football? First of all, and honestly, you know, can attest this. You're playing just great players. Like, there's great players on every single team in the OEC. The OEC is a great league. I think sometimes people get caught up in the number after the D, and they shouldn't do that because I'll tell you right now, I know some of the players I've played against in the last six years on a lot of teams, they're great football players. There are some physicality and some unbelievable athleticism going on in the football field. And some people, people get caught up in D2 or D1 double A mascot, all that type of stuff. And you should not. You come to a game and you truly watch the guys running around and making plays and people that care just how much they care about the game and the things that go on. You can get a feel like it is top-notch football. It's not club. It's not a hobby. People are putting in endless hours from the players, the coaches to get people prepared, the players in the offseason, during the summer, and they're working. They're, they're having time management skills and all that stuff they're working on from working and girlfriend and school and doing all those type of things. And they're not getting their all deals. They're not getting this and that and all this other stuff. And I, they're guys because they love the great game of football. And I kudos to those guys. I really have a lot of respect for those kids. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. I like that. I've never heard that uh, people worry more about the numbers after the D. I like that saying. And you kind of – I want to jump back to something you said. You said you recruit Tampa, Florida a little bit. Uh, for folks who don't know, Florida does not have a single Division three school. So if you're a high school player in Florida, you're accustomed to seeing some D2 schools. West Florida is a really good Division two school, but a lot of D1 schools as well. So when you do go down and recruit these guys – um, who aren't the D1 talent but might have that mindset of, like, D1 or bust. What's really your message to those guys, um, kind of just backing off that question? Yeah, I think, like I said, I, I really talk about, you know, don't worry about the number after the D. Where can you get a great education? Uh, where are people going to take care of you? Uh, and I think, so too, people, I said, it's sometimes when you get on a Florida, they want to leave the state of Florida and get kind of a different experience. And I think when they come up to stay behind, they still have that feel where they football's really important, like it is down in Florida, I think is another thing when you go down there. Uh, I think, too, sometimes the way things are going recruiting-wise, people at the upper levels are recruiting through through the transfer portal. So kids are slipping through the cracks left and right, especially, like you said, down in Florida, there's no D3 schools. So kids are, when you come down there, when they feel that wanted thing from 
our staff are like, God, that's a place I want to go. That's a place I want to call home. These guys really want me. I'm going to overlook my all these other places, but BW really wants me. That's a place I can see myself going to school and playing a great game of football, getting a good education, and growing up being away from home. I think that's another thing. You know, and you brought up the transfer portal, and it's something that a lot of people think is only a D1 thing. You know, when people hear the transfer portal, they're like, oh, when you're talking about Caleb Williams going to USC, and it's like, no, no, no. There's guys in the transfer transfer portal from every level, and it's impacting programs at different rates. So how has the transfer portal been a benefit for you guys? I know D3 doesn't see it quite at the level, but like you said, guys are slipping through the cracks right now. Yeah, I think sometimes young men have a hard time of realizing that, that they might think they're D2. Maybe they are, or D1 AA. But because people are so looking at the transfer portal of 1,700 to 2,000 student-athletes, they're picking from that. And sometimes they got to realize, hey, maybe I should look at a Division three school such as BW because these other schools are not often because they're picking from the transfer portal. That's where they're doing all their recruiting from. They only take six legit freshmen instead of the normal 20 or 23 or 25, what they do. And I think that's happening. I think that falls down to us. So you can see some guys leaving D3 too and going to the transfer portal and wanting to move on. Uh, but then they need to understand too. There's a lot of guys in that portal, a lot of guys, and sometimes obviously you don't know they forget about you. And sometimes the grass is not always green on the other side. You know, when I, I tell young men that and stuff like that, then gotta find a home where you can be comfortable and obviously being able to reach all your goals. You know, and with you know the month of December coming to an end. This is, you know, starting to wrap up a little bit of that recruiting frenzy. You guys get right after the season, and then boom, December. A lot of college coaches are out hitting the recruiting trail hard. But that now means that we're getting one step closer to spring practices. And with spring practices comes that mantra of the new year and the new season. So what are you guys doing as a program to kind of get ready to have another elite run this year and hopefully make a playoff run? I think uh... – People forget too. I mean, for us, we 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 came in with a new offensive coordinator last year. Um, came in late during the summer, so having a year, having a spring with him, Coach Ortz, being the offensive coordinator, and our kids being more familiar with the system and all that stuff's going to be huge. Offensive line was young last year with four new offensive linemen. Then getting the spring ball underneath the belt, I'm really excited about our young offensive linemen. We had Joey Manasek was a definitely new quarterback. Like. There's a lot of things that guys can get more experience with, and we can keep building on offensively and defensively to help us in the spring ball. We start that in March for us. be like the third week of March after we come back from spring break. Uh, I know our guys are excited about that. Uh, you know, be able to work on the class. It's not about lifting weights and all that stuff all the time. You're able to have some practice and uh, build on those things. But I'm really excited about seeing some of our guys uh, improve from this past season to the spring ball. And then see how the spring spring balls into August when we come back for camp. Right. And I, I remember spring ball a lot and it was always like uh it was kind of weird because it was like you had the season but you weren't actually playing because you have your spring practices every week, you still have the weightlifting. So it's a lot going on. And I felt like a lot of times it was kind of just a it was a chemistry bond to get with your guys um and see who your team leaders were and really to become a uh more of a whole unit as a team during spring ball. What's what's some of the things that you value higher that you get out of spring ball um, that you expect your team to kind of escalate this spring? 
I think, Logan, like you said, I think that, I think building like team chemistry and stuff like that and gelling is a big thing. But I also think, too, because of the spring ball rules they've changed with having helmets and helmets and shoulder pads now and being able to do that, you're able to do a little bit more with spring ball than you had back in the past. But like you said, where you're, what can you do with having equipment with football? You know, like, like kind of, it's more gelling and being better on team chemistry and all that stuff. Where now you're able to do a little bit more working on your craft and coming together as an offense, coming together as a defense, and uh, in your in your different units. But everything you said, I think, is true. Team chemistry, leadership, and all that to go along with having a better opportunity to work on your craft now because some of the rules changed with spring ball. You know, and talking about that team chemistry, it's not just the players, the coaching staff has to be a brotherhood and a tight knit community because I mean, you guys are, you guys are having to make split decisions in the middle of a game. And as we saw last year with Marietta, those decisions come at you fast in those last three minutes. So talk about, you know, just the camaraderie you guys have on your coaching staff and how, how special your guys' staff is. Yeah. I've been very fortunate uh, to be at BW despite coaches changes and stuff like that with assistants. Uh, to be with a bunch of great guys, you know, not only I think are really good coaches, but just better men, guys that are good friends of mine, guys that you obviously you love going to battle with every single week and to go on to practice with, you know, where you know their kids, you know their families and things like that. That goes a long way because you spend so much time together. Things can get tense at times and all that stuff. And I really do. I'm a very lucky guy to coach with the guys I coach with every single day. Uh, very fortunate. Um, I'm glad I've had obviously the experience I have had over the last six years. Can't believe it's been six years. Uh, it goes by so fast and very fortunate to have some success, you know. And I'm, you know, you said seven three, obviously he's a successful year, you know. It's so funny, there's a fine line between winning and losing. And our year could have been easily three and seven, four and six. We end up seven and three. You know, there's during the season, there's those games where you're like, God, things could have went this way or could have went that way. And so, you know, I'm really happy the way we progress that during the year and became I thought we became a better football team as the year went on this past year and really excited about us springboarding in the offseason you know one thing we love to do on this show is give advice to the younger generation and give advice to high school athletes obviously you do that almost every day with recruiting and bringing in you know college freshmen who were just high school athletes but I want to have you give a couple pieces of advice because you know who better to give it than the guy who one day could be coaching them. And I want to start by having you give advice to a kid who's maybe, you know, putting together some huddle film right now or making their Twitter bio and guys overlook stuff like that. They don't think that coaches care too much about what all that looks like. So if you could talk to a kid who's putting together their huddle film or they're doing things like that, what, what pieces of advice would you give them for like maybe plays to include or what you're going to look for when they send you that huddle film? What are you looking for? Maybe not always putting in the 80 yard TD. I think for us, I see, first of all, I think you watch, watch what you put on social media. Watch what you put on Instagram and Twitter and all that other stuff. People don't understand that that follows you, not only from a recruiting aspect, but down the road when you're trying to get a job. I think that's another thing you have to, sometimes you have to get yourself out of the noise and realize that social media and, and the PlayStations and all that other stuff, you got to get out of that. Uh, young men have to be able to talk to adults, coaches, look them in the eye and talk. I think that's a big thing. And, you know, being able to talk to people and communicate with leadership and things like that. And I think Logan hit on that, like you said, you can't be just on your phone all the time on Twitter and this and that. I think when you're talking about uh, you know, being able to see, you know, you know, plays where 
they're, they're running to the ball. They're running, running good routes. Um, I don't even like watching a game for me personally when I watch a game because how does a kid respond after they have a bad play? So I like to see that. What do you do to the player after a bad play? How does he respond? For me personally, I, I, I like that because if the kid's going to be down in the dumps, doesn't play the next play, and he keeps pounding play after play not good, then do you want to recruit that kid? You know, um, I think those type of things when you're watching channel and stuff like that are important. And I hit, I told you that before, you know, don't worry about the number after the D. Be comfortable with what's the right fit for you, where you can come home and you can get a great education, have fun playing football, and be part of it. Not sitting on the sidelines or not doing, not doing anything where you can be a part of what you're doing and winning games. Uh, I think people have got to find the right fit for themselves, the right home. Taking visits, I think, are huge, you know. And what's important to you on the visit? Is it facilities, location, coaches? What, what do you do offensively, defensively? How many guys are at that position? All of those questions you should ask when you come on a visit uh, to be aware of that. Uh, because, like you said, you know, you don't want to be a quarterback and be the 10th guy. You know, how many guys do we have on roster? That type of thing. You know, and one one thing that's kind of divided, you know, coaches is this idea of multi-sport athletes. Some coaches are like, I want a guy who's dedicated to my sport and only plays my sport and goes year round. And some coaches are like, no, no, no. I like a lineman who wrestles or I like a receiver who played basketball. So if you could talk to a high school kid who's maybe juggling like, hey, I really love basketball, but like, I think I'm going to play football in college. What would you tell a kid from your perspective on that multi-sport athlete and how it could be beneficial? I think playing multiple sports is a key. I really do. I think it's awesome. I think being able to play football, basketball, football, baseball, wrestling, whatever it is, competitions throughout high school, I think it's big. Uh, you know, being able to do that, I think it's huge. I, I just, I tell kids all the time, but don't use that as an excuse not to do that work for that, your football team or things like that. Try to go out of your way to show your face to those guys when you can. Or just within reason, just so they see you. They're like, oh, okay. Johnny's still working his butt off still, even though he's gone doing baseball or he's doing track and field and stuff like that. He's still doing the things that he needs to do to help us get better for the, the upcoming season. Right. And I, I definitely agree. I think it just gives you a different skill set when you can play multiple sports, you know, uh, you pick things up that you don't might not quite in football. Um, we do, we are coming to the second semester for all these senior high schoolers. So what's your advice for, um, in the classroom, academic wise, this last semester for those kids. I tell Logan, that's funny. So I tell those guys, finish strong. I call it senioritis. Don't get caught in senioritis where actually you start slacking off. You're not doing well in school. You don't really work as hard in the weight room. You're doing going to doing too much social stuff with your friends, this and that. Keep working hard. Do all the little things that got you to that point. Uh, keep doing well in school because schools do look at how you're trending in classroom and all that stuff. Finish strong so that can kind of pull you into your freshman year in college. You know, and coach, the last question we have for you today is, you know, we've heard what Baldwin Wallace has to offer and all the, the rich tradition that they have. And so if you could talk to folks who maybe haven't gotten to come out and catch a game or haven't gotten to, you know, take in the product of the football you guys play, what what would you tell those people you know, that they can expect in the year 2023 and why maybe they should come out and check you guys out. Yeah, for, for, uh, first of all, I'm excited about having the first four or five games at home. I am jacked up about that, having the first three games at home. Really excited about that. I think we play a signing ground of football. 
you know, offensively, defensively, offensively, you're going to be 11 and 10 personnel, uh, be physical in the combat zone, uh, spread the field out vertically and horizontally, get the ball to our playmakers, and let's go. And uh, defensively, you know, we're going to be aggressive. We're going to fly around, come at you in a lot of different ways, throwing different coverages, maybe blitz an ant and uncle out of the stands, fly around, smack people on defense. And in special teams, be sound, make a difference on special teams. And I think our guys like that, we got to put our guys in the right position to be successful. And our game, the atmosphere is unbelievable. I really, I think it's been cranked up. But Steve Thompson, our AD, has made it an event. Uh, we have a great turnout for our home games, and I'm really excited about having those first three home games at home coming up in 2023. Coach, it's been an absolute blast having you on. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Honestly, I don't wish everybody a happy new year. Appreciate you guys having me on. For sure, coach. And folks, that is Coach Hilbert, head coach of Baldwin Wallace University's football team. That's all we got for you guys this time. Like I always tell you guys, rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. But until next time, we'll see you guys later. Have a good one. We'll